This is Cher, and I'm here with Jason and Rob. Guys, if you had to describe this podcast in five words or less, what would you say? I'm going to go with Wild E. Coyote guzzling gasoline. I'm thinking climate change diarrhea hurricane. Are you serious? Maybe I should do this thing on my own. Fine. It's a show about how to stay sane in a world where there's too many people consuming too much stuff and the planet can't take it anymore. You had me at diarrhea. Caution. If you're allergic to four-letter words, you might want to try a different podcast. Just a heads up before we get into the show today, this episode and, and our other episodes have a lot of references. If you want to find those, just go to postcarbon.org slash crazytown and click on episode notes. I share. How are you doing, man? I, I'm, you know, you, why do you ask? Well, you know, on the, like a Facebook post came out. We were just, you were just dissing on economists. Are you okay? Are what you're mad about oh, something? You, yeah. You mean the one where I said they were the most dangerous people in the world? Right. That's that, yeah. Uh, beyond serial killers and whatever. Well, and, I didn't say that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little pissed at economists these days. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, economists are pretty easy to get pissed at. It's like they they forget that the environment actually has an effect on the economy. On the economy has well, an effect on the an, environment. I mean, it's just an input. I mean, the environment is just a a place to get stuff that we can use to produce things. Mo- mostly unlimited stuff. And then just dump <laughs> our pollution into it. Well, yeah. when I was thinking about the problems that we have with economists, it reminded me of something that happened way back, like kindergarten. In the 80s or earlier than that? Either? that was, or probably even earlier than that. 70s. I mean, wow. this, is, this, is, this is getting huh. bad. One thing, I have a really long, long-term long memory. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. Most people don't remember anything about their childhood, it seems, but... Uh, but I do. So anyway, I, I wanted to share with you guys. Let's do this. Let's this, share. this story of the three musketeers. Okay, uh, that's from before when you were a kid. That's uh, Alexandre Dumas. Wow, wow. You, you even used the French uh, accent there. Oh, that's impressive. That's, yeah. I'm I'm a uh, one of those. I thought it was West Coast. I thought it, I thought his name was dumbass, but <laughs> right. <laughs> no, so the three musketeers. It's almost like the three of us. It was me and my two best buddies. People oh. used to call us that. And we used to play games all the time, sports, you know, whatever, uh, stickball in the street, which, uh, you know, based on our car, car culture episode, Dangerous. you can't do that anymore. Yeah, but it's not illegal. A but, but we would uh, get together all the time and play these games. And one of the three musketeers, uh, his name was Scott, he was probably, uh, I guess I'd call him a bit more competitive than the other two of us. And uh, he actually went on to have a, uh, a good, he walked on the soccer team at the University of North Carolina when he, when he got to college. So pretty, pretty good athlete and really competitive. And uh, what used to happen is he would quit when he would start losing in a game. Mm-hmm. We, we'd be playing a game, he'd fall behind and be like, Eh, I quit, eh, and, he'd, and he'd go home. Oh, that's childish. <laughs> yeah, I know. What a, he was what a, a child. stupid, childish child. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so me and and the other musketeer, David, we were we were getting pretty upset by this. So anyway, me and uh, and David, we we're like, what are we gonna do with uh, with this guy? And we decided, all right. That's it. If he quits another time, we're banning him. So we, we go to play a game, and he, he falls behind and quits, which is amazing because he was the best athlete of us. But, but anyway, actually, now that I think about it, David was like a, a college gymnast. I, I'm, I was the sucky athlete. I didn't do anything in college. Anyway, that's, that's another story. But uh, So 
So Scott quits, and we're like, "All right, that's it. We're not playing with you for a week." And Ooh, uh, yeah, man. it was a it was a at that big, age a week is like a lifetime. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh. huge punishment, and he got really upset, maybe rightfully so. And he went home and he complained to his dad. He's like, "Those guys aren't letting me play anymore." And his dad came to talk with us, and we told him what happened, and he was like, "Yeah, that seems about right. That seems." That seems like a fair point. Good work, you guys. <laughs> oh, that's a good parent. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Scott did his time for that week. Oh, and you guys stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. We stayed with oh, it. Wow. And uh, and then after the week, everything was, was back. He learned how to deal with you know the game not going his way, or at least put aside some of the, the, the emotion and was able to, to play. And, and we all had the, a better time going forward. And what I realized from this is we gave him a very direct feedback. If you're going to act this way, this is what's going to happen. And Consequences. We, yeah. And we even had enforcement from above, right? Scott's right. dad. Authority. Sort of like, yeah. Coming in and, and, and uh, backing us up on that decision. And this is where the economists are completely lacking. They don't have any sort of feedback in their models. And so when an economist says something outrageous, it's because they don't understand what's feeding into to whatever it is they're spewing. Well, oh my gosh. I guess I would say they don't have feedback from outside of their own little system, right? Because I think economists get rewarded for whatever theories or tinkering that they might do on a policy level if they see a direct impact within the economic system, right? Right. Jobs grew, uh, unemployment went down, the GDP went up, whatever it is. Yeah. But they're not getting feedback from outside that system. They only care about those specific things. That's right. right. Uh. But I think that's what's weird is even little kids can get that, oh, this thing affects that thing. Right. Yeah. But economists seem to have this crazy blind spot about it. Let me, t- let me tell you about, I, this, is, this is so true, and I've got a story I was a little older than you. I wasn't five or six or whatever it was. You were 11? I was like 30, 31 oh, or something like that. This is, yeah, this is, I think this is around 2002. I had this research group that I had put together. And we, I mean, we were people from around the US. We had someone from Japan. We had people from uh, UK and Europe. We had some people from South America. It's very worldly. It was very worldly. And we were looking at the relationship between global climate change and biodiverse ecosystems in the Andes, specifically Manu National Park in Peru. Unbelievable place. I got to go there a number of times um, for, for this research. But I kind of helped found this group, and so I was trying to figure out how we could integrate the different research threads in the study site. So the the idea is climate change is affecting the the ecosystem, the habitats in this yes, place. Yes, yes, we were like interested in how sort of you know the the birds and the and the trees would move upslope as the climate warm, let's say. Okay, and but this all, of course, ties into. You know the socioeconomic system. So, what's happening to how much carbon we're emitting because we're burning fuels? And so, you know, to pull this all together, I started to read the literature on what's called the integrated assessment models, which the ultimate for this is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change or the right. IPCC. That's that's the big international climate yeah. body, right? So I'm trying to learn, like, well, how do these integrated assessment models work? 
because we're kind of doing a miniature version of this in this national park in Peru. And I wanted to kind of just have a bigger picture. I, I'm, I was a narrow kind of biology PhD guy, and I wanted to study this and I wanted to understand how to pull these threads together. So I read an IPC, IPCC report. Like I just started, I'm going to read this. And that, that's a pretty insane thing to do. Yeah, you're like you and 12 other people right. have done that. Not exactly. An entire report. Yeah, yeah. And what was interesting was that I was I got very disturbed by it. Now you think, oh, you got disturbed because it presented a very bleak portrait of the future. True. But, but you already probably knew that. Yeah, yeah. That, the pessimist was, that you are. Yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't just that. It was that it didn't add up. It made absolutely no sense. I'm reading this report from this this body that is renowned in the in this world the world of scientific community scientific community comes together and, and produces these things. And, yeah, they won the Nobel Prize in science, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going. I don't get this. What so, didn't you get? Oh man, this is. Uh, well, okay. Jason's having a little traumatic <laughs> kind of flashback. Flashback yeah. here. Yeah. Well, it was weird. It kind of evolves. You're reading this, and you just get this. It's, dis- it's disturbing to you psychologically, right? It's a Luke, mix. There's a disturbance in the before. force. Exactly. It was kind of like that. It was kind of like Darth Vader's voice. Like, oh, there's something wrong here. I don't think that was how Darth Vader. Thought. <laughs> disturbance. You feel that's better. That's not Darth Vader either. Well, so here's what it reads like. It reads like a mix of Armageddon and like um and like Wall-E, the movie Wall-E. Remember that movie where like Yeah, we've discussed that. Before. Yeah, yeah, you're like it's like you're on a cruise ship and you're just guzzling space, and, and you're yeah. just like all your gadgets. So, how do I explain this? It's I'll, Let me give you a quote from the latest report, which is similar to what what the older reports were like, all right? But bef- before more I- dire. Yeah. Before- okay, so you're you're basically trying to make us, all of us, as disturbed as you are. That's the point. Okay, yeah, go lay it on us. Let's, okay. let's hear this quote. Well, uh, first, I want to give you t- terminology so you understand it. So I'm going to use like a, there's shorthands, like RCP stands for Representative Concentration Pathways. And- Real and- crappy poop. <laughs> right. RCP. That's right. a little redundant there. Yes. Yeah, it is. What, I mean, what it's tied to are these- SSPs or shared socioeconomic pathways. So basically, it's this vision of the future. It's saying, here's how we're going to develop our economy and our and our and our society throughout the 21st century. They're, they're basically scenarios of assumptions that they're they're yeah. making, right? Yeah. Here's yeah. what the world looks like over the next several decades. Right. And then what's tied to that is how many emissions of carbon you know go into the air because of how much fuel we're burning, right? right? All right. Okay. And so they're numbered, you know, there's 2.6, 6, 8.5. And these have to do with how much additional watts per meter squared of, of heat is trapped onto the, onto the earth. Okay. So if you have a socioeconomic pathway that's assuming we're going to, we're going to do a lot more stuff in society, that means you're going to burn more fuel and you're going to trap more heat, more watts per square meter. Yeah. Am, and am they, I getting this right? Yeah. And there's a mix of say, Okay, we do this with coal. We do this more with nuclear. Or we have more renewables. You know, there's they have different ways in which the energy mix evolves. Okay. Okay. And then, and the other thing to know is that when the IPCC writers write something, they often put it in parentheses if they're really confident about something, or if they're sort of like low confidence or high confidence. So this is the mix. The quote will have this kind of terms into it, right? Well, wow, this is this is good. Yeah, with all these acronyms, 
People it's, like me can't follow very well. It's not easy to read these reports, as you can tell. I spent Which is why only 12 people have done it. Yeah, only 12 people. Okay, here we go. Ready? Ready for this? Okay, let's goes. lay it on okay. us. Throughout the 21st century, climate change is expected to lead to increases in ill health in many regions, and especially in developing countries with low income, as compared to a baseline without cli- climate change. High confidence. Health impacts include greater likelihood of injury and death due to more intense heat waves and fires. High confidence. (laughs) Increased risk from foodborne and waterborne diseases and a loss of work capacity and reduced labor productivity in vulnerable populations. High confidence. It keeps going. Risk of (laughs) undernutrition in poor regions will increase. High confidence. Yeah, this is our laugh so you don't cry moment. (laughs) Exactly. Because, jeez. Yeah. We are confident that we are fucked. This is just one paragraph. This goes on. Risks from vector-borne diseases are projected to generally increase with warming due to the extension of the infection area and season, despite reductions in some areas that become too hot for disease factors. <laughs> Medium confidence. The mosquitoes uh, die. Yeah, the mosquitoes all, uh, uh, they actually explode. They pop like popcorn. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'd have a lot more disease, except the mosquitoes can't even survive exactly, this heat. That's exactly. A, that's a new product. Orville Redenbacher selling mosquito pop. <laughs> okay. 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 Here, it goes on. This is just one paragraph. Uh, make it stop, please. Globally, comma, the magnitude and severity of neg- negative impacts will increasingly outweigh positive impacts. High confidence. <laughs> Sorry. High confidence. Yeah, yeah. By 2100 for RCP 8.5. That's basically the warmest. The warmest. Uh, the warmest scenario they have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wait, so that means, is 8.5 meaning, that's not degrees warming. No, that's the additional watts per meter okay, squared yeah, added. Thank right? you. Yeah, but that warm. is, it's not quite 8.5 degrees Celsius warming, but it's, like it's five really or six high. up or there. Yeah, it's yeah. like five or six. The combination of high temperature and humidity in some areas for parts of the year is expected to compromise common human activities, including growing food and working outdoors. High confidence. Bre- breathing. I, exactly. To, the, to the language you have to go through on this, right? They're, they're making it so... Okay, it's dire. It's dire. But what does this have to do with Okay, it sounds bad. It sounds really bad. And... I'm really worried, right? But then I'm confused because all this entire report, everything that's is is a world that's wealthier. So if you if you read back further earlier earlier like earlier chapters, the scenario being played out here is that this is a world in which there's much more consumption, there's much more food available, there's much more consumer goods available, there's much better housing stock available, there's uh, much better healthcare available. Everything is wonderful. In other words, it's like I said, it's like we're all we're all driving to the shopping mall and having a great life. And then later later chapters it reads like this. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No feedback. There's no feedback. There's no freaking feedback. And I'm just I'm this young researcher. I'm in I'm like 31 or something or 32 at the time. And and so I'm I'm kind of new in academia, you know, recent PhD grad, and I'm I'm going outside of my normal ex- area of expertise. Yeah. And I've got this friend at UC Davis where I was, and I I I, I have lunch with him. This guy is an, he was a Dartmouth grad, and then a Harvard grad, and a smart guy, Cam. And I confess my confusion. I'm like, 
what's going on? I kind of explained what I just said. Is there something wrong with my understanding here? You know, the climate change impacts sound just terrible, but apparently the economy just keeps humming along. It doesn't yeah, make any it's, sense. It's, it's got to be like uh, antiperspirant sales, right? <laughs> From all the extra sweat. Yeah, or... yeah. And Cam, what was fascinating was that this was the perfect friend to have at that time. Guess who Cam knew really well and personally? Yoda. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Danella Meadows. Oh, really? I'm not ki- yeah, I'm not kidding. Well, okay, so for, for folks listening, who's Danella Meadows? Well, she was one of the original authors of the Limits to Growth study, and she was a professor at Dartmouth at the time that Cam was an undergrad, and he actually lived in this big farmhouse that she had, and so she had students living at her house, and they would all have dinner together and talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was, she's become very well known. She's since passed away, but yeah. very well known for her work around systems thinking, yeah. specifically. Yeah, exactly. Incredible and, writer, too. Did you ever see her series of articles? I think it was called The Global Citizen. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Yeah. And so here I, here I happen to have this friend who lived with Danella Meadows, and I'm, 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 I'm like coming to him going, Is there something wrong with me? And he goes, he goes, no. yes, and <laughs> <laughs> he goes, oh, geez. And he starts saying, uh, Jason, have you ever read Limits to Growth? No. Do you know who Herman Daly is? Uh, no. And he just starts like listing all of this literature. And he goes, oh. Sorry, yeah, you're about to be uh, thrown down the rabbit hole. We're you renaming mistake, you Alice. You made the mistake of asking a question. <laughs> so that was that was sort of my introduction to this. But it came from this tension, this unresolved tension between the reading this this giant report and being this being this young scientist and going, how can I question this? And so I kind of you know to summarize. I had three big problems. I was there was no feedbacks that linked the climate change damage to the socioeconomic progress that the narratives and the, the of these economic models assumed. And then they all assumed there were unlimited resources that we could just keep expanding the human enterprise. And then there was no alternative narrative that said, what, what if we used less and tried to live live appropriately to prevent all this damage what kind of sacrilege are you uh, uh, are you pumping out here yeah live with what well, i think that from my understanding of sort of the process of developing these these models like the rcps right these are climate models and looking at the impacts of of warming at different levels and there's a lot of feedback in those yeah in those models within the, models, within right. the climate system and but where there's this kind of line drawn is saying that all this stuff about the the socio-economic system, we don't know. That's not our bailiwick. That's that's right. some other territory of expertise. We just have to defer there. So yes. they operate by basically taking these SSPs, right, right. At, at face value. And the SSPs are kind of made up by economists, Right. Yeah. At this point, that's right. And those economists have this vision in their mind that there's going to continue to be economic growth, energy demand growth, material progress, all these things that are going to continue to go on. In fact, must go on. Right. And so these climate scientists are sort of saying, well, okay, what's the impact of these things? 
you know, on the climate system if we do that, but never questioning, well, shit, if the climate changes, you know, significantly, you were just talking about, you know, reading in that, in that quote, well, some labor is actually going to be hard to do, right? Like, right. There's some going outside, maybe not a good idea. Growing food, I believe yeah. you, you mentioned. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, there's giant floods. There's, there's increase in disease. There's, there's the crashing of agricultural production. You know, it's just, it just it increase in landslides. So there's no feedback coming back. Right. That all and, has costs. And that gets to what I think you were saying, Rob, and that is that, that within the field of economics, it seems like there is there's not an openness or an inquiry to trying to get feedback, you know, from outside of the economic system to sort of very, understand. Very, very stuck in this one right. world view of growing the economy. And it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, it makes me think of um, uh, William Nordhaus, right? So William oh, Nordhaus, yeah, so you know who I'm talking about. Uh, f- for folks listening who don't, William Nordhaus recently actually received the uh, the Nobel Prize in economics, right? The most esteemed yeah. prize you can win as an economist. He's from this little college. Where, what's it called again? It's Yale. Yale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or as uh, uh, Dumas over here yeah. pronounces it, Yale. Yale. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so Nordhaus, he just won this prize, and in fact, when he won that prize, was was uh, it coincided with actually uh, around the time the release of of this big landmark report by the IPCC warning right. about the fact that we need to re- reduce greenhouse gas emissions, slash them. They Super were saying fast, yeah. 50%. 40, yeah, right? 45%, you know, by 2030, and basically virtually 100% by Which, 2050. Can we just hold for a second? Because 2030 sounds like a long ways off, but... 11 years no, it's not to, very far. to use half or you know, 45. Right. You know, yeah. That's so the, crazy. These yeah. two things happen at the same time, right? right. They're, they're warning. And I think that there's been a lot of criticism of the IPCC for actually soft-pedaling a little bit the true nature of the climate crisis. It's partly because it's an international body that has representation of climate scientists from every country, right? Yeah. So you got... Saudi climate scientists. So, so like there, the, the Saudi guys are like, we got all kind of time. The Vanuatu guys are like, uh, can we get this show on the road here? <laughs> the Vanuatu climate scientists. Well, they're underwater yeah. right now. So no, they're, not, they're not at the meeting. No, they have, they they have, have some big snorkel. volcanoes. They have some big volcanoes there. They're, they're, they don't have snorkels. They can't like uh, speak <laughs> through those. So um, it's, it's what a juxtaposition because Nordhaus, you, you'd say, oh, it's amazing. You know, climate is actually being recognized within the field of economics because Nordhaus wins this right, you know, esteemed right. prize for his work on climate. That's what he won for, right? For trying to look at the economics of climate change, right? But here's the problem with this. He's worked on basically looking at putting an effect, putting a price on carbon. But his whole work has been around going slow on that. Yeah. You know, basically saying, hey, we can live with a certain amount of warming, as long as it doesn't compromise economic growth, right? Right, so, that's the priority. Yeah, that's the priority. <laughs> and in fact, when he won this prize just recently, he said to his students at Yale, he's still teaching, he said, don't let anyone distract you from the work at hand, which is economic growth. That's the work at hand, right? So we've got the climate science community you know, ringing a bell, basically saying, we got to slash in the next 11 years, almost 50% of our emissions. And Nordhaus is still saying, ah, no, no, priority is economic growth. So his work was really basically saying, look, we could discount future impacts because what we need to do is prioritize economic growth today. You well, know? And what's amazing is that 
they treat money as if it's more important than, than things like food, right? I remember, that this is something, this is sort of an infamous quote from Nordhaus. He wrote this in 1991 in a science article. He said, quote, agriculture, the part of the economy that is sensitive to climate change, accounts for just 3% of national output. That means that there is no way to get a very large effect on the U.S. economy. <laughs> so, so by that, he means an effect, a climate effect on the economy. Yeah, you could crash agriculture, yeah. but it's only 3%. Hey, no worries. <laughs> no we'll, worries. You'll just consume more cars, more yeah. video games, more more uh, clothing, whatever it is. Yeah, eat that, but, but, eat that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Better hope your clothes are made out of edibles, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what... So they become... A, there's a lot of absurdities in economics because they treat... They treat dollar for dollar, no matter what you're right. what you're spending it on, as equal. Almost. And we've talked about this before. Like energy is not seen as anything, and the forms of energy that that we use is not seen as any particularly right. important resource, you know, within the economic system. And here you're saying. Nordhaus doesn't even think us eating food is that important right, really. in the context of, <laughs> yeah. of the economy. What, what right? did food ever do for us? I mean, really. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jason, you mentioned an economist named Herman Daly. Yeah. So, I mean, here we are. We're, we're kind of vilifying Nordhaus. Yeah. And maybe rightfully so, but... Yeah. Not maybe. Yeah. Okay. Definitely so. <laughs> there, there are economists out there, and Herman Daly is one of them, who do think in terms of systems, yeah. do think of feedback, do put the lessons from the Donella Meadows and others into into their analysis of the economy. And I've, I've had some fortune in my career to, to actually work with Herman a little bit. And uh, the guy's amazing. He's written all kinds of critiques of what he would call growthism or even uneconomic growth, where the economy is expanding, but we're actually accruing costs faster than we're accruing benefits. Mm -hmm. And uh, you found this essay that he had written around the time the Nordhaus quote came out. He quoted some other economists who have that same issue. And I think the, the, the title of that essay was, When Smart People Make Dumb Mistakes. And one of them was this uh, economist from Oxford, a guy named Wilfred Beckerman. Another little college. Yeah, somewhere. by the way, we're yeah. talking about the most esteemed universities <laughs> right. in the yeah. world, right? <laughs> right. Here, here's his quote. Uh, a, couple, a few years later, 1995, he said, even if net output of agriculture fell by 50% by the end of the next century, this is only a 1.5% cut in GNP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so no ec deal. economic output only goes down a, a little bit of a percent as agriculture falls 50%. Like, could could a loss of 50% of our food supply cause any trouble in the economy? So he, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling here for a second because I almost have to believe that these are made up quotes. No. In the sense that if you said this to my, my eight-year-old son, okay. right? Yeah, sure. He would look at you like you're a fucking idiot. Yes, rightfully so. So how does this guy... Hey, get that guy a Nobel Prize. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, there. Okay, speaking of Nobel Prizes, <laughs> the, 20, the 2005 Nobel laureate in economics named Thomas C. Schelling said the following. Uh, in 1997. The 90s was a bad year yeah. for economists, well, by the way. He can't... They're, they're, they're just... Getting a, a little a couple of years after one, yeah, another. yeah, yeah, they're getting more yeah. and more absurd. They want to, they want to emphasize the fact of this this truism. Quote: 
if agricultural productivity were drastically reduced by climate change, the cost of living would rise by 1% or 2%, and at a time when per capita income will likely have doubled. I, no it's going to be awesome. I'm going to have like a billion dollars in the bank, but no food. But man, I'll be rolling around and all that <laughs> exactly. cash. It'll but, be so sweet. But I also, do they not talk to each other? Because on the one hand, you got Beckerman basically saying, look, hey, no big deal if we lost 50% of our food production, right? right? Right. And then this other guy, Schelling, is saying, well, hey, I guess 50% of our food production is only going to increase our cost of living by 1% or 2%. Yeah, I mean they don't well, even talk to each they're, other. They're they're yeah yeah. I mean they're going they, to the same meetings. Yeah, they do go to the same conferences, but they got to have their own flavor of of idiocy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess the the point here to bring this home is that they're just looking at dollars yes. and numbers as all being interchangeable, effectively, right? You yeah. lose a little here, you gain a little there. Everything is going to be better as long as we just keep focusing. Pedal to the metal, we're going to grow the economy. Right. That's going to outweigh all of these costs, except, hello, we don't have food. <laughs> right. Well, this is the trouble, right? Money becomes the language of economics and everything in their minds. Right, it, can be monetized. It's got to be all about money. Well, the, what's interesting is to think about, okay, this was, I, I was stumbling upon this and just like floundering and drowning in 2002. And only in the last few years has it seemed like others are quite, starting to publicly question the kind of, the kind of things I was questioning. So... Uh, David Hughes, a fellow of Post Carbon Institute, has been looking into this. Yeah. And I know, and so you know more about this, Asher. Maybe yeah. you can talk about this because there was a, you went to, a, you, you helped uh, convene a, a American Geophysical Union meeting. And yeah, David yeah. was at. Why don't you talk about I some mean, of the his stats? The first thing that I would say about that is that I, I think the key thing here is maybe the word publicly in what you yeah. said. Yeah. I, I, I do think that there are other people who have had the same experience that you had, mm. Jason, right? And that is, and, and I probably I'm going to assume they're a minority. I would say the majority, even people are, you know, and these are people who are dedicating their lives and are deeply concerned yeah. about, about these, these issues. These, these are climate scientists who've been working on climate systems, and they're very bright people and looking at very complex dynamics within these, these systems, you know? I think most of them are probably going to just take at face value, oh, the economists are giving us these numbers, we got to work with them, basically, right? But I do think that there are other people who've been sort of like scratching their head like, about Like Kevin it. Anderson, for example. Yeah, Kevin Anderson is a climate scientist, and he's basically, you know, you were saying there's been more public talk right. about this stuff. I think until recently, I think there's been a lot of private conversations I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not in the room necessarily for all those conversations, but I certainly, in, in just in my work, have come across and, and spoken with folks who also feel like, wait, there's this disconnect happening here in two ways. One is there's something lacking here in terms of the, the feedback dynamics, right? right? Like, how do they assume that everything is going to be rosy over here in the economy? Do you know what I mean? Right. When the the physical planet that we're we're depending upon is falling apart, right? right? That's one thing. Yeah, no food, but you know, plenty of shopping. Yeah, and the other is like you know thinking about the fact that if we keep growing our material throughput and consuming more energy, we're basically going to put ourselves on a path where we can't even exist on this planet anymore. So they're 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 wrestling with this, you know. I think the the difference is that there hasn't been a lot of public conversation about it because people are scared to to reputational yeah, risk. Yeah. They're they're worried about their reputation or they 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 defer to people they think must know better. Right. right. That's what I was scared and, of. I was thirty in my early thirties. I'm a young scientist. I'm going. 
I can't question this. I'm going to, I'm going to get in trouble. I'll never get a job. Well, you know, well, and look at you now. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Look, I just married let, well. I let, this no a, job let this pariah. be a cautionary tale for all who question economic growth. So getting, you know, getting back to David Hughes, I mean, we've had a lot, a lot of these conversations sort of internally about these, these models, you know, trying to understand kind of the IPCC models, the R, the RCPs, the representative concentration pathways and, I talked to David Hughes, who's one of our, our go-to guys about looking at the larger energy system and like, you know, what are the assumptions that are built into these models, right. you know? And, and he did some work for us and we ended up putting together actually a, a panel presentation at the American Geophysical Union in 2015. And for those who don't know, that's like this geeky, wonky, big event, 15,000 yeah, people huge. show up, you know, in San Francisco, I mean, it's lots the, of talks. It's a premier discussion conference for climate change. Right. And in our conversations, a lot of them have been around the fact that there are a lot of assumptions built into these models about how much fossil fuels are even available to burn. And a lot of our work at PCI has been to help people understand fossil fuels are a depleting non-renewable resource where we pick the low-hanging fruit, and when we pick that low-hanging fruit, it gets harder and harder, and the return on the investment is is poorer and poorer, right? So can we really assume that we're going to be burning this much coal, this much you know, natural gas, this much oil, even if we didn't take seriously the, you right. know, the need to, to, yeah, pedal to, the metal. to, to yeah. <laughs> mitigate for, for climate purposes. And so you did some work. We, we had this kind of presentation on this, and it's, and it's really astonishing because – when you look at the RCPs, you know, and it's not just the ones like the 8.5, which is the highest, right? right? Even That's the like low, yeah. an Armageddon scenario, <laughs> right, you know, right, like right. you go down six. Not, not the Bruce Willis movie. No, no not that one. It's even, all the coal you can imagine. When, even the yeah. 2.6, right? Yeah, the lowest, um, the lowest, the lowest one they have, okay, has assumptions built in about energy demand growth yep. and economic growth. So believe it or not, actually – of those models, the RCP 2.6 had the highest estimate or projection of what the economy would be like compared in 2100 compared to two, to 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Seven times bigger. Yeah. An economy seven, seven times, times bigger. Yeah. Okay. But mitigated somewhat warming, right? And so there, there are all these assumptions built into that system, into the, into that model basically saying we're going to have a shit ton of nuclear power. So there are these assumptions about yep. availability of uranium, uranium right. and renewable energy and these other things. And right? carbon capture and sequestration. Tons of, <laughs> tons of things around negative emissions. That, and all that, that haven't stuff. been invented We or have another show or, on that. We'll get into that. Yeah. Well, in show. Yeah. But does this mean that I can have a 7,000 square foot house? Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Maybe 14,000. Do you have a 1,000 square foot house? Yeah, now? roughly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Everyone's seven times more. Okay. Oh, it's going to be great. Um, and energy demand growth in all of these models, you know, was two and a half to three and a half times bigger, right? right. So in 2100, we are consuming a lot more energy and our economy is way bigger than it currently is. Yep. And that's even under these scenarios where we've sort of mitigated right. uh, somewhat. Yeah. You but, know, I get why economists put those models in. Like, they're afraid of the consequences of what happens if the economy stops growing, which, you know, with the policies and the way we've got it set up now, yeah, you have a lot of problems, you know, unemployment, and and it can destabilize society. And they're very stuck in that paradigm. You've got to keep growing or everything goes to hell. That's basically their issue. 
And when I was thinking about that, I <laughs> I came up with this kind of goofy analogy, but uh, let me let me share it with you. See what you think. So uh, let's say you go to a party, right? And you are Which I do all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe beer and wine are being served there. Love it. Okay, so you take a drink and you you start to feel that little buzz, and you're feeling pretty good. And you, you you take another drink, and now suddenly you're you know you're opened up, you're 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 conversing wildly, you're the life of the party, whatever. Speaking French, you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. You Why? at least in your own mind, you're you're, you're <laughs> very <laughs> fluent. Yeah. yeah. So so oh, you're uh, saying is we oui, we oui all the time. Incredible. So the idea here is that that feels good, and you want to keep that going. But if you keep drinking more and more. Uh, can be some problems. So maybe I just fall asleep. Maybe maybe the thing to do is try some other drugs or try something else to Uppers. keep the buzz going. Yeah, amphetamines or wh- whatever it takes. You you just keep putting substances in your body to keep the buzz going. Good well, idea. it's gonna cause some consequences. And so, like, I feel like the Economist uh, is just looking for more ways to to take alcohol or, or drugs to keep your buzz when you could just kind of go. Why don't we stop drinking for a bit and try something else like uh, I don't know exercising that can give you a pretty good buzz or yeah. or or uh, playing some music with your friends or something like that. There's there's like this incredible unwillingness. It's to try myopic. Anything it's else. completely myopic. You're abs- I mean that's an, that's an okay analogy actually. I think <laughs> oh, it's good. okay. Thank I think you. you did all right. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, there's no creativity. What you're saying is like it's all just more 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 juicing it drugging it keeping it going and there's no path there's no scenario that says hey why don't we get keep people fed keep people clothed keep keep like society stable somehow politically keep the climate reasonably stable etc and live and there's no there's no economists that are thinking in those terms. They're just right. thinking growth is the path. Like I mean, just drinking more and now uppers and I mean the, the Herman Dailies of the world, the ecological yes. economists, have proposed that we make a transition to a steady state economy that's a yeah. a stable economy at a at a size that we can that we can manage. Yeah, so but, there's some economists who they're rare, the ecological Yeah, you economy. don't get that stuff in any economics program in, in any yeah, I mean, what, college. What percentage of economists are, are schooled in ecological it's economics. negative. Yeah. <laughs> it's a steady state of right. zero. Right. But I that's what I want. I want the creative thinking of economists to turn towards how do we use less? How do we hold this together? Get rid of the idea of growth and figure out how to hold the system together without breaking. And and that that takes thinking outside of the box and and stop just guzzling booze, right? But this is where you know, back to Back to my Facebook post about how they're the most dangerous profession and why I get so mad about e- yeah. economics and economists in particular is that not only, I mean, we could laugh about the myopic thinking, but the hubris to me, this lack of, of interest in being inquisitive right. and asking questions and, and testing assumptions, you know, like, there's a lot of tweaking that's happening within this abstract system right. of these sort of economic models and yeah. these equations from reality. That, they, yeah. that they come up with where they see the natural world and the impacts of these things. 
as just totally abstract. They're just numbers, right? Yeah. And these are human beings, but in their profession, <laughs> they're not acting like human beings. And it's really dangerous because they are the cheerleaders. They are the priests and priestesses of a vision, of an ideology, of a kind of a, a belief, an inherent belief system that we've all adopted. Our politicians are 100% behind because it can't not be. But both yeah, left right? and right, Absolutely. By the way. Yeah. That is basically taking us over the cliff, just absolute destruction. And we have this other issue, which is uh, I my heart is m- much more aligned, I think, with ecologists and climate scientists and, and these folks. But I, I think that they also have to be pushed to not take at face value the numbers that they're being handed, yeah. you know, to put into their models and just say these economists they must know what they're doing. Well, yeah, it's starting to happen. So, like, you got like Justin Ritchie came out with a paper looking at this and said there's way too much coal in these models. There was a there was a paper out in Nature last year that was trying to project a low demand scenario for energy. It's starting to happen. Well, that brings to mind the Green New Deal. And what's amazing about the Green New Deal, if you read the actual resolution, it comes out and it says. All of these things that are going to happen if we keep emitting as, as much greenhouse gases as we're doing. You know, it, it's very scientifically based. Yeah. But then it also points out we have all these other economic problems, equity problems, and it wants to fix everything at once. And it calls for unprecedented levels of prosperity and economic security. And it's going to all get right. that by creating millions of jobs in the renewable energy sector and, 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 and whatever else is, is, is affiliated with that. And the thing that comes up for me is that it, it, it's noble, and I think we should be supporting this. It's, it's important, but we also have to be realistic about what's possible economically. Yeah, this is a tough spot to be in because <laughs> it's really hard politically to say, hey, uh, we're going to wean ourselves off fossil fuels, and that probably means we're going to have less energy-available society, which means there's going to be maybe less material wealth. I think it's important to talk about economic security. I just worry this prosperity notion also has, you know, is tied into assumptions of growth. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you can't keep growing the economy on renewables and it, and that, that doesn't work, then, then there's a worry about the disappointment that it'll be looked at as a failure. Right. And so, and then we're, then we're right back to Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump and, yeah. and policies of continuous growth and mourning in America, right? Well, that's, a, I mean, that's the thing. I think it, you know, it calls for net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, which is absolutely needed. The Green New Deal. The does. Green New Deal does. Um, so it's kind of a conundrum. So I, I feel that it's really important, though, if we're going to go through a big transition like this, which will be disruptive to the economy, that you need to make sure the basics are covered, that there is equity, that, that people have some economic security. But I just also think maybe you need to be more open about the challenges and realistic about them. Right. So there's a role for supporting the Green New Deal, but maybe tempering that a little bit with, with some added reality. Yeah. Realism. Realism. You know, we've talked about in the the sort of the crazy town sense that when you know what's happening environmentally and socially and you go talk to your friends and your family, they'll think of you as as crazy and it's it's hard to do. And Jason, you you've you've said, well, you know, you gotta take that slow. You don't want to ruin your personal relationships right. with people. But I think you do want to ruin your relationships with economists. <laughs> you know, if I think you, I already have. If you have any 
connection. You're in college, you know somebody in this profession, go ahead and ask them. Flood their inboxes. How can we have infinite growth on a finite planet? Why are we pushing this when we know that we're headed for a a climate Armageddon with it? Ask them in print. Make comments on, on their comments. You know, Just find out. Can we have an economic framework that avoids killing the planet? I, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that, and I wouldn't even say push the economists in your life, you know, or the, or the ones that are in public life that you come come across. It's anyone who takes at face value what the field of economics, a conventional field, neoliberal economics, which is sort of the dominant worldview that we live in right now, at face value. So. Ask your politicians. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Why are you listening to these right. economists? Well, you, you can take this back to my uh, my story, the Three Musketeers, and the the you know back to the cul-de-sac where we were playing. It, it, it's like the people in charge are actually giving Nobel prizes to these guys. So rather than right. shunning them, which they need to be shunned and and moved in a different direction, they're being rewarded. And so I think it has to start, as you're saying, from people calling them out yeah, until like, until they understand that. Like Jason Hinkle t- took down Nordhaus. That was a great article. Yeah, Jason Hinkle is, is an economist in the UK. And yeah, his, uh, when, when the Nobel Prize came out, he was like, this is, this is absolutely <laughs> insane. Yeah, so I would say people that are knowledgeable within these fields speak up. Yeah. The, the rest of us think critically, ask questions. And, and ultimately, and I'm serious about this, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but... <laughs> Used to, used to be cool, right? To smoke cigarettes, and now it's a little bit like, you know, you kind of are a bit of a pariah, right? right, right. So I'm not right. saying anyone else, anyone ever walked around like I want to be an economist. Economists are cool, but <laughs> highly respected, yeah. highly rewarded, right? Yeah. They should be fucking vilified. Well, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to think like an economist and go out and have 17 drinks right now. I think that's what I'm going to do. And then figure out how to have 17 more right after that. I'm going to start cutting back my food consumption by half and I'll and I'll spend money <laughs> elsewhere and see how that works. Yeah, I mean, that'll only dip, you know, uh, 4% or something. Yeah, you'll be yeah. fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the podcast, and while you're at it, rate or review it at iTunes. That really helps get it in front of more people. To learn more, visit postcarbon.org slash crazytown. And if you want to actually learn something instead of listening to us bozos, you should check out Post Carbon Institute's Think Resilience course. It's four hours, 20 bucks, and will seriously change the way you see the world. Catch you next time on the mean streets at Crazy Town. Hey, I, I'm a plant biologist, which makes me really excited to introduce the sponsor for, for today's show, the Photosynthesis Exchange. What are those guys? Well, they're based at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and what they're doing is they're setting up a market for oxygen. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so we've got like a we've got a carbon market now, right? Like yeah. a cap and trade in California. So they're doing something like that for oxygen. Well, that's the waste product. The oxygen yeah. is what you all need to to breathe. Right. Right. Okay. We all. You don't though. Yeah. No, I need it too. I mean, okay. I'm going to pay as well. All you are. We're all going to pay. Well, okay. but, but how do how do we profit off this? That's what I want to know. Can well, I the, invest? Well, the traders profit. <laughs>
you know, for each 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 time you breathe, each gram of oxygen you use, there's there's of course a fee. So for, there's a transaction. fee. There's a transaction fee, which of course. is basically each breath we take. Every I, breath you take, I, every somebody move makes some money. You make. I gotta exactly. I gotta quit exercising. That's upping the respiration rate. Just meditate. Well, that's both. why Donald Trump doesn't exercise. He said you have a, you have a finite amount of energy in your body and finite amount of oxygen you could breathe without having to pay out the nose, right? Well, so. this is really important. This is gonna this is gonna we gotta we gotta. T- Tie this to the economy or economic growth. You know, everything has got to be monetized nowadays. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Okay. But I'm going to work on my meditation and slowing down my breathing because I can't really afford this. Oh. 